You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. So the scripture reading this morning is Acts 7, verses 1 through 8. It says it's Stephen's speech. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the reminder of your promises. And the promises you promised to Abraham that even Abraham couldn't see or understand, and yet you made your promises so. You you give us these promises and we, same thing, we don't don't see what your plans are for us, for any of us, and you know what your plans are. You know how you are going to have us prosper, have us help others, have us help each other here. And um, I just pray that we all keep our minds and hearts open to listen to you and to follow your word and to follow the plans you have for us. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good job, Jonna. Good morning to all of you. It's good to see you. Um, Today we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of losing your sense of calling, um, losing your sense of identity. That can happen sometimes. Um, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes I'll just kind of take an overview of my life, and sometimes I'll say, wait a minute, okay, how did I, how did I get here? And, so, and sometimes you get the sense of like, Did I kind of lose myself along the way? Did I lose what I'm about? Um, I was reminded this last week about how God uh, called me out of my darkness in fall of 1996. And I just remember at that time, I was a senior in high school, and I was so excited about knowing God, following God. And I, I loved reading the Bible. It was, all of this was new to me, right? Because I didn't grow up in that kind of a home. But I just loved reading the Bible, studying the Bible, because I could hear the voice of God. 
right? I, I could, I, like, I, I could tell what, there was truth that you could anchor yourself to. You know, I, I could learn about my salvation and, and the plans that God had for me. And it, I, I was just so, just overwhelmed with everything. But if you fast forward about 15 years into 2011, um, by that time, um, Sarah was pregnant with our fourth child. Um, I had graduated from Bible college. I had graduated from seminary. I had led a youth group. I had led college group. I was managing a high-rise for Dallas Seminary. And I, I, just, I, I just remember thinking like, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. What? How did I get here? What, what, am, I, what am I doing? Right? What am I about? Who, who am I? And there was like this, this subtle shift Right and 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 not I'm not talking in absolute kind of terms like there's some complexity here, but there was this shift in my heart that happened where it was like, am I am I following God? Do I know God or do I just know about God? Right. Uh, I remember like uh, <laughs> I mean right away I was doing. Uh, uh, Bible studies right after being saved. And I remember one kid stopped showing up because his, his dad was a pastor and was like, you know, uh, like who's helping you understand the book of Romans, you know? And, uh, and I was like, the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> and he was like, all right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that scared him. Um, and because the Holy Spirit can be scary. Um, anyway, and, I, and I, can, I can remember just thinking, though, like, I used to do ministry with God without knowing what I was doing, but I was doing with God. And I just felt like, am I just fulfilling this obligation, you know? And, and right at, at that time, God, by his grace, he just, he did so many different things that I can't go into this morning, but he, he drew me to himself, and then he reminded me of how we started our journey together. I, and what he called me out of. And that's what happens sometimes. We, we can just kind of lose our way. It's real subtle sometimes. And in those moments, it's important to ask yourself the question, okay, how did I get here? And, and then have God remind you about what he's called you out of and, and where your journey with him began. Now, I'm talking right now sort of, you know, I'm a modern Western person, so I'm couching all of these things in sort of individualistic kind of ways. But in the ancient Near East, right, or even in traditional cultures today, they, they wouldn't understand it within that framework. They would act, ask this same question in a more collectivistic, more communal type of way because they understand themselves within a community. So they would ask themselves, how, do, how did we get here? Right? And I think that in this passage, that's, that's what Stephen is doing. He's, he's actually answering that question, whether the Sanhedrin is asking that question or not is a, you know, a different question. But, but he's answering that question by reminding the Sanhedrin where their relationship, the, the nation of Israel, how their relationship with, with Yahweh started. Now, if you, if you remember... Um, Back when, uh, last time we were together, where we found Stephen, he was in a bit of trouble, wasn't he, right? Because he had been declaring the kingdom of God through signs and wonders. There's no greater way to get in trouble than that way, 
Okay, so he's, he's been declaring the kingdom of God through signs and wonders. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin, right? And they, they laid out these charges. You have been blaspheming, they said. Blaspheming against God and blaspheming against Moses. And we saw last time we were together that really they kind of narrowed down that charge to be about the temple. You're blaspheming against the temple. And we noted that interesting shift from God to the temple, almost as if they were equated, right? And you've been blaspheming against the customs of Moses. Now, what I think is happening here is that the ministry of Stephen, it threatened these national identity markers, which is what I think it sort of boiled down to them. Probably complicated, but I think it boiled down to them. The customs of Moses and the temple are our national identity markers, Things like keeping the Sabbath, circumcision, sacrifices, sacri sacrifices at the temple. And see, Stephen's ministry is a threat to that because what is the gospel about? The good news, right? It's, it's more than this, but the good news that the law has been fulfilled and the once and for all sacrifice has been given, right? So there's no longer a need for a, a temple. And on top of that, Jesus predicted that the temple... Uh, would be destroyed. So you've got that uh, like as a layer over everything. And so these charges have been laid. And then our passage begins with the high priest having heard these charges, asking this question of Stephen in verse 1. He says, are these things so? In other words, Stephen, are these charges true? Now Stephen's answer to the question of the high priest is... Of, it's very interesting. Like at first, when you just read it for the first time, you're like, I do not think he is answering this question, you know? But, but if you, if you kind of hone in and you, and you pay close attention to some of the word choices, then you begin to understand, wait a minute. No, Stephen is answering this question, but he's answering it in a very interesting way and in an indirect way. And I, I want you to just, we're going to go through, and there are things in here that are so mind, we're just going to cover just a portion of it, and they're so mind-blowing, but just remember, as, as, as mind-blowing as it is, this is happening because the Holy, he didn't think about this beforehand, right? The Spirit is speaking through him. And he's coming up with things like what I'm going to share with you today. And, and it's just like, how in the world does that work? The, whole, the Spirit of God. That's how, that's how that works. But what he does is he takes the whole situation, including the charges, and then he puts it within the context of the history of redemption, which is primarily or, or largely about righteous sufferers who are persecuted for the benefit of, of God's people. And we're not going to even talk about that piece of it today, right? But just, you'll see how there's these righteous sufferers leading to the greatest righteous sufferer, Jesus Christ, right? So we're not going to even talk about that today. But what, we're gonna, what we are going to talk about is the first thing that he does in talking about, okay, I'm going to put all this in the context of the history of redemption, God calling a people to himself, is he says, okay, you guys are, are worried about national identity, okay? 
And so he says this, so we're going to go through this first section, the beginning section of, of of the speech that Stephen gives, and he ends the speech in this way after talking about Abraham and his offspring in verse 8. He says, and so, like, and that can be translated in this way, Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the 12 patriarchs. So Stephen's saying, you guys are interested in your national identity, so let's talk about how we became the 12 tribes of Israel to begin with. Let's go all the way back to the father of the nation, Abraham, and just think about his call and his offspring. And see, what Stephen does is he wants to remind them about two things, about Abraham and Abraham's offspring. The first thing he wants to remind them of is that Abraham was called out of Mesopotamia. And we're going to talk about the significance of that. The second thing that he wants to remind them of is Abraham's offspring were sojourners who were called to worship. So just those two things. And if they have ears to hear, then they will know what he is alluding to. So the first thing he wants to remind them of is, look, God called Abraham out of Mesopotamia. So beginning back in verse 2. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you now are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Okay, so Abraham is going to remind, in this, this, these verses, he's going to remind the Sanhedrin, of three things that God did with Abraham. The first thing that God did with Abraham was that he appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. So verse six again, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. So Mesopotamia, if you remember, that's fun to say, everybody say Mesopotamia. Isn't that fun to say? Mesopotamia. Anyway, so you, so Mesopotamia is on the is just north of Israel, right around the Tigris and Euphrates River, right, kind of near where the Garden of Eden was. Later, it becomes associated with Babylon. During the time of Abraham, okay, it was a pagan land. In Joshua twenty four two, it tells us that Abraham's descendants worshipped idols. So they actually worshiped the moon. So they worshiped idols in this land. It's a pagan land. It was a dark land. 
And you could argue from Deuteronomy 32, throw Psalm 82 in there too, that it was ruled by a demon. So you've got a pagan land, dark land, ruled by a demon. That's where the glory of God appeared to Abraham. Right, so the, when we talk about the glory of God, that's God's beauty made manifest, okay? So what's interesting about that is in the Bible, the glory of God is mostly associated with his presence where? The temple. Exodus 29. Exodus 40, 1 Kings 8. These references are in, in your bulletin. So do you, do you see what, what Stephen is doing here? He's reminding them, look, the kingdom of God's glory appeared to Abraham in a dark land, a demonic land, right? God's glory appears to his people whenever and wherever he wants, right? God's glory is not confined to a location. God's glory, this is, he appears to him before even the plans for the tabernacle are given to Moses. Before Solomon is alive to build the temple. So he, he, God can come in his glory whenever he wants to appear to his people and commune with them and show them his power. Right? And so he's saying God's glory is not confined to some box in Jerusalem called the temple. He can appear any, anywhere. Now, what's interesting at the end of the speech, so he, that's how the speech starts with a reference to God's glory. At the end of the speech, then Stephen looks up to heaven. And there it says, quote, he sees, he's gazing, notice that, he's gazing into heaven, and he sees, quote, the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Now, you take that a step further, and you notice that the word gazed, Stephen gazes, is the same verb that's used in Acts chapter 6, verse 15, when the Sanhedrin are looking into the face of Stephen, and you begin to put the picture together. God's glory can be found in the face of Stephen, in his face. God's glory can be found in a heavenly vision. God's glory can be found in Mesopotamia. Because God's glory is wherever God shows up in order to show himself to his people. To his people. It's just a matter of whether or not you have the eyes to see. So that's one thing he wants, Stephen wants to remind the Sanhedrin of, is that God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. The second thing he tells him is God uh, called him away from a land and from a people. Away from a land and from his own people. In verse 3, it says, And, it, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. So now he's pulling from Genesis 12, 1 and 15, 7. God does different things at different times in the history of redemption. But now 
He is calling Abraham to leave his land and to leave his people so that he can go somewhere else so there can be a new people. What does that sound like? What's it? Oh, yes, it does. It does sound like that. What else does it sound like? Because all these stories, is just they're on repeat. You know, it sounds like the church in Acts. Called out, right? The church, the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're called out from where we are and we're sent on a mission with God. So God is a kind of God that calls people to have adventures with him in order to spread the kingdom of, of God. Now, what Stephen is going to go on to say is that Abraham obeyed that call from God, right? The, the, the direction of God. And, and I'm willing to call it obedience because the Bible calls it obedience. But did you notice in the latter part of verse 4, right, he says he removed him. <laughs> he, he removed him from Haran, right? And, and all of this is foreshadowing, it's anticipating the church of Jesus, the called out ones who are called out to become their own people who go on mission for God. They go out, right? Acts chapter one, verse eight. And sometimes it will take some persuasion, right? And, and you'll see, and this is what's gonna reoccur in the book of Acts, persecution comes because we have a tendency to stay in Haran. We have this tendency to sort of settle, right? But God is the kind of God that calls us to move, right? And so sometimes he even uses persecution, right? And we'll get there in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And so God is on the move. So that's the second thing that he wants to remind them of. God called Abraham out of his land and away from his people to form a new people. The third thing that he wants to remind them is that Abraham was promised a land, but he never experienced it, right? It was promised to him and his offspring, but they never experienced it. If you go back to the latter part of verse 4, and after he, the fa his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So Abraham received a promise regarding a land for him and his offspring, but he never experienced it. If you think about uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and that section where it talks about Abraham, it tells you that he lived in tents in, that, in the promised land as though he was a foreigner, right? And he, he looked for a city whose designer and builder was God. And he looked for a better country, a heavenly one. Right? And what you, what you begin to see, right, and the picture that God is putting together when he's talking about the promised land, the promised land is important, but the promised land is a picture for something even greater than the promised land. Right? He did not receive the inheritance then. Right? But then in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, what we learn is, is that the inheritance is actually the entire world. Which includes the promised land. But now, because the whole world is going to become the promised land in fulfillment to what God had mandated Adam. 
right? The whole world is going to become this garden temple where you dwell with me and worship me, right? So that's the inheritance includes the whole world. Now, when it talks about how he didn't have a child at the time, right? So we're looking for this seed, this offspring. Who is it? Right? And we wonder, is it Isaac? Maybe it's Isaac. Maybe it's Jacob. And you just, maybe it's David. And they all, they just kind of all kind of fall short of what's expected from, you know, Abraham's offspring. But then Paul comes along in Galatians chapter 3, right? And he says, he didn't say offsprings. He said offspring, referring to the one Christ, Jesus Christ, and all of those who are united to Jesus by faith. So we read this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, so if you belong to Jesus, everybody in this room, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs. Because you have an inheritance. Heirs according to promise. What promise? This promise. And so, you know, who can make up a story like this? Right? God is weaving all these things together, all culminating to the glory of Jesus. Right? And then... If it were just Jesus and we, we could just look at it, that would be amazing enough. But he says, now, come be a part of it. And you'll be an heir, like Jesus is an heir. It's amazing. And that's the, the, the good news of, part of the good news of the gospel. Now, Stephen doesn't go into that much deep detail here in Acts chapter 7. But his, his point is, look, home is where God is. Your identity is not primarily a national identity, although they had that. I'm not negating that. I'm not negating the land. But it's more. It's more than those things. Your identity is that you trust God for an inheritance, you follow him, and you go on an adventure with him. That's what Abraham was called to, an adventure with God and trusting in God. And see, the problem is here is that the Jewish leaders don't want to go. I mean, you, you could say they forgot, but that's a very nice way of putting it, right? right? They don't want to go on an adventure with God. They want to just maintain the status quo. That's what they want to do. Right, so that's, that's one thing that Stephen wants to remind the Sanhedrin of. God called Abraham out of Mesopotamia. And for those who have ears to hear, they will hear, right? The second thing that he wants to tell them is, look, God's, uh, I mean, Abraham's offspring were sojourners called to worship. So if you go back to verse 6, it says, And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. So there's two things 
that he wants them to take notice of with regard to Abraham's offspring. That they were called to be pilgrims and that they were called to worship. Right, so in verse 6 again, his offspring would be sojourners, travelers, strangers, exiles, in a land belonging to others, talking about the Egyptians. So he's pulling from Genesis. This was told to Abraham before they went into the Exodus. That's in Genesis 15, 13 and following. Now, Abraham himself and his, uh, the patriarchs with him were also pilgrims. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, we read, these all, so talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so the same with the children of Israel. They're sojourners. They're exiles. So part of being the people of God is being a pilgrim people, right? And then 1 Peter is going to pick up on that and say, we're the same way, right? This earth is not our home. We're just kind of passing through. And he says, remember, like you're all about your national identity. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, these customs that you have. But they all are playing a role leading you to something greater. And he wants to remind them of that by bringing them back. They had forgotten what it meant to be a pilgrim people. And again, to say they forgot is a very nice way of putting it. They, they didn't want to be a pilgrim people on a journey with God. They wanted to maintain the status quo of what they had. Right? They actually, they're okay with using God. They're okay with using the temple, right, to sort of baptize what they really want, right, is to, they're using God and the temple to build an earthly kingdom for themselves, to satisfy their own earthly fleshly desires for power and prestige. And we do that, don't we? You don't have to be a secular person to be worldly. There are lots of ways to be religious and worldly and use Jesus to sort of baptize what you really want to do, right? And that's just good. That's not to make you feel guilty. That's just to make you aware, right? Because you can get confused because I can get confused. Because what do I do all week? I study the Bible. That's godly, right? Well, maybe, like maybe it is, right? It, it's about my heart. You know, and my heart is problematic, let's say, right? And so I need to keep bringing my heart and saying, God, you know what I'll do with this in my flesh. Here's my heart. Please change me from the inside out, right? Purify my motives. Help me to see Jesus, and so I tell you about these dangers, not so you feel guilty, but so that we can be a people that are repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
When you don't do that, you begin to look eerily like Pharaoh who used the people of God to build his own kingdom and hindered the worship of God. And if you do that, God will judge you because God doesn't want anything standing in the way of his people worshiping him. So he reminds them, Abraham's offspring were a pilgrim people. Abraham's offspring are also called to worship. So if you look back in verse 7, but I will judge the nation that they serve. Talking about Egypt, but Egypt also as a type of everyone who stands in the way of the worship of God. Said God, and after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. So this is a combination of a quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, but also Exodus 3, verse 12, where God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And God fulfilled those two promises. He did judge Egypt. How did he judge Egypt? Through signs and wonders performed by Moses. Isn't that interesting? Why is Stephen being brought in before the Sanhedrin? What's he doing? Performing signs and wonders. And so you, 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 as the hearer, you begin to think, wait a minute. It seems like the signs and wonders of Stephen, as much as they are a blessing to those who receive them by faith, they are simultaneously this signal of judgment. For the Sanhedrin, the leader of the nation that has now become Egypt. And they are the pharaohs standing in the way of God's people worshiping Yahweh and his Messiah when the whole system was set up toward that end. And God is saying, it's not about the system. Right? I use the system but it leads, it's something greater, right? So he judged Egypt, and, the, and the, for those who have ears to hear, wait, God might judge us. That, that, that's the point of that. And he brought them out. What does it say? And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. When he says, in this place, right, in the original context, in Exodus chapter 3, that's a reference to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai when the law is given, okay? But now he uses, he doesn't, he doesn't quote it exactly. He uses this ambiguous, more ambiguous phrase, this place. And what that does for the hearer is they think back, right, to the accusations that were given. Where they talk about the temple, they don't even refer to it as the temple. They refer to it as this place place. And you begin, to, you begin to get the understanding that maybe Steve, what he's getting at is, look, God calls people to places. But whether it is the Temple Mount or Mount Horeb, the point is, the primary thing is that God's people would worship him. 
And so the Hellenists and the Sanhedrin, right, they are, they are all caught up. Think about all the sacrifices that the Hellenists made just to get back to Jerusalem. And they're all caught up with these national identity markers, the customs of Moses, circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, the temple. All of these are good things, right? But they've lost their way, right? They forgot what it was all about to begin with, right? Because God didn't call Abraham out of Mesopotamia for his offspring to put God in a box in Jerusalem called the temple. And neither did he call you out of your darkness for you to put God in a box. And so God, God is calling you. He's reminding you. Right? He's saying, come, come back to me. It's about having an adventure with me and worshiping me and taking your place in this story of redemption that's all culminating in Abraham's ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, will you come on an adventure with me? Because it's so easy to forget. And to use Jesus to just baptize what you deem as important. But maybe God in your heart is saying right now, time out, time out. Remember how we started. When I came and I appeared to you. When I called you out of darkness. I gave you a promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I said, come and take an adventure with me. So that you might worship me in spirit and in truth. It's not about the location. Right? What did Jesus say to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? It's not about this mountain or that mountain. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you, you still speak. And Father, I, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, now as we sing, God, speak to every heart. Draw them to yourself, maybe even for the first time, God, and show them your glory. In Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.